Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. And I want to welcome you to Central this morning, where we seek transformation in our lives, in our communities, and our world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since Easter, we've been studying the book of Hebrews together, discovering that Jesus is greater. He's greater than anyone or anything that we could possibly live for. Have you discovered that He is greater for you today? Last week, Pastor Ben brought us, uh, taught us through chapter 3 for an extended quotation from Psalm 95 as they remembered God's work to free His people from slavery in Egypt. And he saw them wander in their wilderness, and he promised to provide for them, promised to save them, even brought them to a promised land, but they didn't go in. Do you remember why? God had promised to give them this land, but they did not believe that God could keep his promises. God promised, but the people refused to believe that God could keep the promise. They were so busy grumbling that they were unable to find rest for their souls through believing God's promise. Might that be us today? Might we be so busy grumbling that we have a hard time trusting God? He's going to press us there today. Where might we find deep rest for our souls? Where are we going to find it? Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we might behold Jesus, that we might have ears to hear his voice. And so, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the living and abiding word of God. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. St. Augustine said in his confessions, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. What is that rest? What is that greater rest that we all want, that the pastor talks about here, that only Jesus can provide? It's hard to feel at rest when we are clinging to something that's killing us. When you hang on to something so hard that literally is killing you, it's, it's hard to rest. There's a word for that, you know. To hang on to something with such a tight grip and that thing is what is really harming you. The word for that is called addiction. When you hang on to something so hard you can't let go and that's the thing that, that's harming you, that even is threatening your own life. And what we see in this text is it's lies about God that we hang on to that threaten us, that threaten to harm us. And the chief lie we see in this text is the lie that God can't be trusted. And yet we hang on to that lie and it threatens to kill us, it threatens to harm us, and it even drives us away from the sense of rest that all of us in our depth of our soul deeply, deeply want, we need. This morning we're going to wade through a really dense and confusing passage. Any of you confused by all of what we read a few minutes ago? It traces the idea of rest throughout the story of God's people in the Old Testament. And it traces it all the way down to you and me here this morning. It keeps saying today. Did you notice that? Today. He's speaking to us here at Central Presbyterian Church. Today. Make sure that you today enter into that rest. Because there is a lie about God that threatens you and me here today. We're going to study three things from this passage. What is that rest that we all are looking for? And why do we need it? And how do we find it? So first, what is that rest that's on the pastor's mind here this morning that seems to preoccupy him? We ended chapter 3 with him saying about the folks wandering in the wilderness. More on that wandering in just a few moments. But that wandering Israel didn't enter the rest of God's land of promise because of unbelief. He said in verse 19 of chapter 3. And then we come to verse 1 of chapter 4, that promise of rest still stands for you. You and I can enter into that rest, and he's saying, so don't you miss out on it too like they did. But what's the kind of rest he's talking about? What, what, what is it? Well, in verse 3, he quotes Psalm 95 again, like he did in chapter 3. He quotes it again in verse 5 for one big reason. He's thinking about the verse, they shall not enter my rest. It's like he's just ruminating on that verse, my rest, my rest, my rest. And then it's like it clicks. The point he's trying to make here, the rest that we're looking for is the kind of rest that belongs to God, my rest. It's the kind of rest that, that God has. And he goes back to Genesis 2 in verse 4. That rest that God has on the seventh day of creation. 
That at the conclusion of each day, there was evening and there was morning, and, and God said it was good. But at the end, God stopped. And he surveyed all that he had made, and he pronounced it what? Very good. And he rested. But wait a minute. I mean, God doesn't get tired. He, he doesn't need to rest like you and I do. It wasn't like God said, whew, it's been a big week. I mean, I... I I, I put everything into this week, man. I mean, I, 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 daylight to dark. I mean, I really gave it all that I had and whew, I need a break. That wasn't God's, that wasn't God's week. Psalm 121, in fact, we studied a few weeks ago, God never slumbers. God never sleeps. In fact, in verse three of Hebrews one, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. God's rest is not a, a rest where he's inactive. God still governs and sustains everything in this world. God is still working. He isn't resting by doing nothing. The kind of rest that describes what God is doing even now, the seventh day continues, the Bible tells us. The kind of rest that God has is he's sitting back and he's surveying all that he's made and he's pleased. God surveyed everything that he's made and he says it's very good. He's satisfied. He's enjoying everything that has been made. And that's the kind of rest that God has and that's the kind of rest he invites you and me into. To look at what God has done and enjoy it. To be satisfied with God. To be satisfied with what God has done. And we shall forever have that not only at creation, but in the new heavens and new earth. Look at verse 9. He says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's a, a, what's coming in the future. The, the pastor's lifting our eyes from creation to the end, to the new heavens and new earth. It's a day later on, he says in verse 8, when God is going to rid this world of every touch of sin. There's a day coming when the complete joy and satisfaction is going to be renewed. When every touch of sin is taken away from this world. When there will be complete joy in all that God has made, it will be restored once again. As it was in the beginning, so it will be one day again. With eternal joy in all that God has made. Now, we live in the in-between time right now in between complete satisfaction in what God has made and when it shall come again. We live in between those two times and what it was and what it will be. And whether you know it or not, that's the kind of rest that your soul was made for and what your soul longs for right now. To be able to survey all that God has made and be pleased. To be able to sit back and be satisfied that everything is as it should be. Everything is as God designed it to be. Everything works as God made it to be. That's what your soul hungers for. Look at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. We enter that kind of rest right now in between the creation and the new heavens and new earth. We enter it right now through faith through trusting that God rules in the fog of life right now in the midst of your broken down life in this broken down world, through trusting that the Redeemer who is going to make it all new has already come. 
He has come and he's birthed this new creation through his crucifixion and his resurrection. And he has born this new world in you. The Apostle Paul says that you are a new creation. Jesus has begun that work of renewal in you and me as he went to the cross to give his life to pay for all of our sin, to defeat sin and evil and death itself, to defeat the devil on the cross and and claim victory in the resurrection. Jesus has begun this work and we trust in that work that Jesus has done and it will be brought to completion on the last day. And we look for that work to come on the last day, but we can experience it even right now. We can experience the the taste of joy, the taste of satisfaction right now as we trust what God is doing in our lives right now. There is a way to take a step back and relax in God's sovereign rule in your life, even though your life is broken and tainted by sin, isn't there? There's a way to enjoy who God is and what he's doing in in your life right now and celebrate that God is on the throne of your life and you aren't. There's a way to be satisfied in the work of the Lord, the Lord's rule in your life, even though you walk through the fog of life right now, isn't there? There's a way to experience satisfaction in Jesus, even though there's still a lot wrong in this world. And even though there's a lot wrong in your life, there's a way to rest because Jesus has come. There's a way to rest because Jesus has conquered. There's a way to rest because as the book of Revelation says, we have conquered in the blood of the lamb because Jesus has won. That's what Jesus is talking about. The rest that he offers in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30, come to me. All of you who are heavily laden, all of you who, we- who labor unto weariness, and I will give you rest. Even right now, we can be satisfied with the Lord. We can exhale. We can ha- take a deep breath. Because we may not know where our life is going, but we know the one who's directing it. And that's rest. We know the Jesus who's victorious. We know the one who satisfies our soul. We are able to take a step back and be pleased with the Jesus who's on the throne and know ultimately where our life is headed because Christ is victorious. He's our redeemer. We may not know the twists and the turns and how we're going to get there, but we know the one who directs the twists and the turns because our crucified and risen Lord reigns right now. The kind of rest your soul longs for is that kind of rest. It's God's rest. Well, why do you need it? Why do you and I need rest? Because that space of satisfaction and contentment and joy is not the natural state of our souls, is it? I don't care what your temperament is. I don't care what your Myers-Briggs says about you. I don't care what your Enneagram number is. I don't care how even keel you are. Rebellion and sin is our natural state of our flesh. So we need God to do something for us. We need God to do something in us because sin and rebellion and grumbling is natural to all of our flesh. We saw it last week in chapter three. 
As we, Psalm 95, remember, Israel was wandering in the wilderness and the Lord freed them after the Lord freed them from slavery. And God did all these miraculous things for them over and over and over again. But instead of satisfaction in the Lord and joy, there was chronic rebellion, wasn't there? They fought with Moses about whether God could or would fulfill his promises. They didn't have enough water in the desert. There were giants in the land that God had promised them. And in those moments when they couldn't believe that God could be trusted, not sure that he could deliver them, they began to grumble and complain against Moses and against God. And the way God described them was that they had evil and unbelieving hearts. They were playing a gotcha game. They were playing find the bad guy. Whose fault is it? We, we know that game, don't we? Say, Moses, it's your fault that my life turned out so bad in this desert. We shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be wandering. We should be back in Egypt. It would be better for us if we were back there. Do you know that? Do you know that game that we play? Leader, it's your fault that we're in this situation. Spouse, it's your fault that we're here. Children, it's your fault that we're in this mess. It's everybody's fault but mine that we're in this mess. You know that, that find the bad guy game? It's so natural to all of us. We all love the blame game. Grumbling and complaining is natural to all of us. They even blamed God. God, I can't believe you led us to this land where there are giants. God, I can't trust you. You can't deliver what you've promised. God, I can't believe you've led me to this place in my life. I can't trust you to do what you've delivered. I have to take what you've promised, and I have to take the matters into my own hands. I can't trust you to save me. I can't trust you to get me out of this situation. We have a hard time trusting the Lord because our hearts naturally are filled with chronic complaint and grumbling just like the people in ancient Israel. They grumbled about their deliverance from Egypt because they didn't want to be in the, in the desert. They grumbled about being led through the Red Sea on dry land, for the miracle of manna, the miracle of the quail, of water in the desert, about being led by a pillar of fire, God's very presence with them, about being, having the River Jordan parted in front of them, about God fighting for them, His promise is to save them and keep them and deliver them. They refused to be satisfied with joy with what the Lord their God was doing to save them. They were surrounded by the work of God, surrounded by the promises of God, but they would not believe. Verse 19 of chapter 3 says, here's the thing. Verse 2 of chapter 4 says, Good news, the gospel came to us just like it did to them. The gospel, the good news was preached to them, deliverance and salvation through believing the promise. They had to look forward to the deliverer to come. We look back on the deliverer revealed as Jesus who came. They were saved by faith in the promise just like you and I are. And we need rest because it's possible for you and I too to be surrounded by the promises of God and they not benefit us just like them. That's the point of, the, of this pastor here. He so wants the, this, this church, this church probably in Rome. He wants these people to know and understand you can be surrounded by all these incredible promises of God, promises to deliver, but they don't benefit us because we do not believe. It can be true of Central Presbyterian Church too. 
It can be true that we can be surrounded by all these incredible promises of God and they do not benefit us. You, you know that belonging to a church where the gospel is preached every single week is no guarantee that you're going to believe it. Being part of a church where the promises of the gospel are proclaimed every week and in every class is no guarantee of salvation. Because God's deliverance and God's salvation comes through faith in his promises. It comes through believing in his promises. It's possible to sit under the proclamation of God's promises week after week after week and they do you no good if you don't believe them. Do you believe them? Do you believe the promises of God? It's more than just knowing what they are. Faith is more than just knowing what the promises of God are. It's, it's more than being able to recite John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's having faith is more than knowing what the verse says. It's more than the content of what the gospel message is. It, it, it's more than the content. It also includes believing that it's true. Even your own assent to it, 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 believing that Jesus truly is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. It's saying, yes, that's, that's a true thing. I believe that's true. But neither is even that what the Bible means when it says that the message benefits us. Because the Bible says even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. It does them no good. It doesn't benefit them. Having faith, as the Bible talks about it, is more than knowing what the content is and, and even believing that it's true and believing in such a way that the message of salvation benefits us includes trusting in those promises of God. It's knowing what they are and believing they're true, but also trusting in those promises of God, being willing to say, yes, Jesus came the Son of God took on flesh and came into this world and was crucified. I believe it. But being willing to say Jesus was crucified for me. The death that I deserve because I'm a sinner. Jesus took the death I deserve. He was crucified in my place. Jesus has delivered me from my slavery to sin. I can't do anything to get myself out from under slavery to sin, but Jesus has freed me. Not somebody out there, but me. Faith means that I roll over onto Jesus. All of my hope for my life, all of my hope for my future is rolled over onto Jesus' shoulder. And I trust whatever future I have, whatever life I have is tied together with Jesus and his rule for my life. That's, that's what faith is. It means that I'm no longer in charge of myself. I'm no longer in charge of my future. But Jesus is. His will for my life, his will for my future, his promises are what govern my life forever. It's not just knowing what the Bible says and believing that what it says is true. It's saying, Lord, I give up on being in command of my life. 
I give up on being in command of my future. I, I, I confess that Jesus, you are the Lord. You are on the throne of my life. I trust everything. I, in, I entrust everything of my life to you. In other words, there is no rest without surrender. Are you willing to surrender your life to Jesus? Believe in such a way that the message benefits us is to trust, to surrender all you are and all you have to those promises of God, to say, Lord, I, I confess I am no longer in charge of myself, of my life, of my future. I put all of my life in service to you. That's what the Bible means when it says believe. Do we? Are we willing to believe? That, that's the belief, that's the faith that finds peace in the fog of a messy life. That's where the rubber begins to meet the road. That's the expression of trust that is a key experience of finding real soul rest. That's where we begin to, to find rest that's able to say, Lord, I'm in a place of real confusion and pain in my life. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out. But Lord, I know you've walked me through things like this before. And so I'm gonna trust you to walk me through this right now. I'm gonna rest in you. I'm gonna be satisfied in your leadership and your guidance in my life right now. That's, that's where rest comes from. I'm not gonna scramble. I'm gonna rest in you. Or Lord, I've been abandoned by people who are supposed to care for me. People who are supposed to love me, to care for about me, care and, 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 and take care of me, and it hurts so bad right now, Lord. But I know that you will never do that to me. So my heart's turned to you, and in you, my soul can find peace, my soul can find satisfaction, and in the middle of all this chaos, Lord, you are the one who gives me rest. You're the place where I find satisfaction. It's possible. Or maybe you're in a place where, Lord, I'm walking in the shadow of death. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I don't know what's going to happen with my body. I don't know if I'm going to be alive next month or next year. There's uncertainty. There's darkness all around me, Lord. But there's this strange relief. There's a satisfaction in knowing that I don't have to be afraid of death. I don't have to be afraid of, of what's out there in the darkness because I know you've been through it and you reign over it, Jesus, and you're going to walk through this with me. That's rest. I'm going to be satisfied in you. There's, there's peace in knowing, Jesus, that you rule and you reign and you're trustworthy. That's, that's a source of rest for your soul. Why do we need the kind of rest that only God can give because that's the only the kind of rest that will really satisfy your soul. That's why. Lastly, quickly, how do we find it? How do we find that kind of rest? Look at verse 11. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now remember this whole context, the disobedience is disbelief. So he's been talking about this whole time, the disobedience of disbelief for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Remember back up in verses two and three, we believe the word to enter the rest. Verse 11, he now says, so strive to enter, strive to believe, hang on to the word. The way we enter that rest is to be exposed to the living word of God that cuts, that deep, that penetrates deep down to the deepest core of your being. It cuts through and it it rips the pleasant mask off of the the ugly face of sin that deceives us. And it leads us to the Lord who can be trusted. The word of God is what helps us see the lies of our sin. The word of God is what what shows us the lie that says God can't be trusted. It's the word of God that, that shows us our sin that says you have to handle your life yourself. God can't be trusted to handle your life. You have to deal with it yourself. It's the lie that says, you know, student, you don't have any chance at a good grade You don't have any chance at a good future, so if you don't cheat on your test, you're not going to get a good grade or good future, so take your life into your own hands. Don't entrust yourself to a God who says, be honest. (laughs) He can't be trusted to take care of you. It's a lie. It's the word of God that will take the mask off that lie. It's the lie that says, you know, your job is toast. If you, don't, if, if, you, if you choose to speak up about those unethical practices in your business, your job is toast and ha, you're a fool to believe that God can protect you. Who are you? That is so stupid to believe that God can protect you if you speak up about unethical practices in your business. You got to take your life into your own hands. It's the living, active word of God that cuts down and rips that, that, uh, that pleasant mask off the lie that says God can't be trusted. Or the lie that says, you know what? Now's your chance. Now's your shot. If you don't divorce your spouse right now, you're gonna miss your window at having a happy life. If you don't take your shot right now, you've got a, you've got a window that's closing, now's the moment. Your window on happiness is just about to close. It's a lie. The word of God will get down and show you and discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It will expose the lie of our heart that says God can't be trusted. God's word gets in there and exposes those lies down to the level where we, where we tend to believe that God's promises can't be trusted and we begin to lean into the promises of sin. It's freedom. There's rest in having those lies exposed that that keep us in slavery. Now, I know that it might feel unsafe 
to name and confess those lies of the heart. It might feel risky to name where I trust myself and where I'm leaning into pragmatism rather than where God promises to provide for me. But there's real freedom. There's real trust and trusting. There's real, there's real rest in trusting what God says is true. Where God says real life is found. Real soul rest comes as God's word leads us to repentance. To turn away from the lies that promise us things that can never deliver. And instead turn to the Lord who's given us his son. Who's given us his son for our high priest. Who is also the price of our salvation. The lamb of God who takes away our sin. The Lord's word shows us the truth that we are worse and more sinful than we ever imagined ourselves to be. When the word of God lays us bare, our sin goes deeper, our sin goes wider than we ever thought that it would. And yet at the same time, the word of God shows us that we are more fully and completely loved than we would ever dream of being. Our God knows us completely and he loves us fully because Jesus has come for us. He's given his life for us. He was crucified for us. When the word of God exposes us, the Lord sets us free. And there's real power and there's real joy in being set free. It's a little bit like those little pink spoons at Baskin Robbins. I'll close with this. You know, when you go to little Baskin Robbins and you stand up at the, at the counter and I like, I like um, butter pecan ice cream. And if I ask for, can I get a sample of the butter pecan? I just want to make sure I still like it, you know? And they give a sample. They, they pull out one of those little pink spoons, you know? And they put, it on, put the butter pecan on one of these little pink spoons and they give it to you and you taste it and I taste it. I think, oh yeah, I still really love this ice cream. And what, is it, what does that taste do for you? Leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? You think, oh man, I want a big scoop. Give me two scoops of that butter pecan. When you experience the joy of repentance and rest, of the inbreaking of the truth of the gospel, the, the truth of God's word, the truth of the rest that God gives us, the forgiveness, the freedom, the hope that God's word gives us in our, in our broken down and sinful lives, it's like that little pink spoon. It's a promise, it's a taste of that, that greater rest that Jesus has come and is waiting for you. That rest that, that you want more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more freedom, more joy, more satisfaction. And that taste is like, hang on, there's more coming. You're not going to believe it, but it's going to be even sweeter. Walk with me another day. It's going to be even better. Walk with me another year. It's going to be even better. You're not going to believe it when you see me face to face. That repentance and rest is just a taste. It's just a, a little pink spoon of what it's going to be when you see Jesus face to face. Just to keep you going. Until the new heavens and new earth when the full Sabbath rest of the people of God. And you see Jesus saying, Come welcome home, my beloved. Let's pray. Lord, welcome us home in that rest, we pray. Motivate us in that rest, we pray. 
keep us longing for you, longing for home, and expose the lies of our hearts. Rip the pleasant face off of our sin and lead us to the bleeding lamb who died that we might live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.